Are you ready to go? The Kia? Welcome to Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends, a brand new show born from the ashes of our beloved Beastars podcast, The Cherryton School Report, which will be returning at a later date. That date is now probably set in stone because the author, Itagaki Paru, has come out in her chicken mask and said that we will get a new season of the show in 2021, which hopefully means that the US version is coming out in 2021 as well. So when that happens, we will once again become the Cherryton School Report. But until then, we have a brand new show and I'm very excited. For those of you who are just joining the party, I am Sabrina Ray, a trans woman, lifelong anime fan, and student of Japanese. And coming to us all the way from the windy city of Chicago, Illinois, is the third most sexiest man alive, the man that taught me to kill, my childhood friend, Don Munson. Don, welcome to your show. I could not be more honored with that incredible <laughs> introduction. You see, we did a practice version of this where I just said that he was an anime fiend like me, and he was from Chicago and my childhood friend, and he was like, I don't like that. That's You got all this flowery prose about you. You got to be this dynamic, wonderful person, and I you just actually, get to be from yeah, Chicago. You, you uh, cut down on your accolades this time around. I did. I did. And I, you I sacrificed you, I mean, back. you need to be putting yourself on a pedestal, my friend. Well, Don and I grew up with each other. He lived up the hill from me. Quite literally. You guys can listen to the Cherryton School Report and find out all about his long driveway and other things that we talked about on that show. But he and I both love anime and we've been watching it since we were in high school and this is sort of what this new podcast is about this new relaunch of our previous show is going to cover um more different anime not just b stars but other strange odd amusing things that we find interesting and don you made a great point about this when we were doing our trial podcast which is that um the reason uh, that we're going to be covering these things is because there's stuff to say. Yeah, it, honestly, the point was yours. It was, we're going to talk about anime where there's something interesting to say. This doesn't have to be life-changing, but it has to be something where there's some ideas to chew on and some interesting themes to develop. And I think that we're we're on that path. I think so too. And, you know, like for an example, I watched a bunch of anime before deciding which one we would cover on this show. And um, one of the ones that I watched right before the one I chose is Doro Hedoro, which is a wonderful anime, great looking, super stylistic, just a nice blast of energy. And yet I had nothing to say about it. It was fine. It was, I loved watching it and I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. When we wrapped our previous podcast, Cherryton, we both felt strongly that we wanted to continue doing the show together, but we also knew we wanted to cover other shows and spotlight other oddities of anime. And uh, launching a new show every time we found a new passion would have gotten very tiresome. And I'm lazy. I'm a lazy asshole. Ah, uh, I can uh, second that. With the new show, Okashina Podcast, comes a lot of new stuff. First of all, we have a Twitter now. Dawn, it's called. Okashina Podcast, O-K-A-S-H-I, 
NA podcast. I will follow it right now. Follow it. Like we put all of our news up there. I'm constantly like creating fresh memes that will never go viral because that's just not <laughs> what I do. I, I post cringe. <laughs> no one likes it and it goes away. So if you like cringe that no one likes, definitely go follow us there. Um, but we do. You have sold it. I, I mean, I am on. <laughs> he is on. He is. And he will oh. be there. Um, we also have a coffee, which is brand new. So like that's ko-fi.com. And basically it's just a way for you to tip us so that we can put the money towards getting subscriptions or paying for subscriptions that we already have, like uh, to Funimation or to Crunchyroll or to any of those places that you can legally watch anime because we like everything to be legal here on the show. Um, and we also pick up Blu-rays or research material because I do read Japanese, so I can um, pull Japanese research material like uh, light novels or um, soundtrack CDs that have like the <laughs> the drama portions on them. Like if I if I wanted to do something like that to give a deeper dive, or if people wanted to see that kind of content, I would absolutely do it for you uh, with Dawn on the show. So. Those are the things that are new. Uh, the other thing that's new is we're covering a brand new show, and I wanted to talk about that. But before we get to the show, um, Dawn, tell people a little bit about yourself who don't know. Keep it short. Maybe like two words. <laughs> I, two two words. <laughs> Me alive. Me alive. Um, Perfect. Yeah. The, the, uh, as as Brie mentioned, uh we grew up together in the verdant fields of New Hampshire. In the deep south. <laughs> no, that was it was not the deep south. But we we were within walking distance in the suburbs, which is pretty rare. And so we would often get together, um, fight with GI Joes, run around in the back in the woods outdoors, and um, he cracked my skull with and, a magic eight ball. I don't remember that, but I do remember you knocking the lens out of my glasses with a wiffle ball bat. Ours <laughs> is a turbulent love. <laughs> we did play a lot of Street Fighter 2 on your uh, Nintendo, oh, so that was We good. played Street Fighter 2 on Super Nintendo, and we had I had to tape my thumbs because I had such bad blisters from playing too hard. I also remember some fantastic times when uh, you would start beating me. And then one or the other of us would start to physically hit the other while we're playing. So we're sitting there playing and then striking each other um, back and forth to try to distract the other person so that you could gain an advantage in the this game. This was not yeah. my brand. <laughs> nope, those, those, were, those were different times, different times. But that was actually when you, around that time when you introduced me to anime. And because uh, you had uh, right. cassettes yep. uh, straight from Japan and we were... We were watching all that stuff, and, um, you know, it was, I, Ranma One Half was, I remember, one of the shows we watched, and there were all sorts of good things, and that was really my introduction to a lot of that stuff. That pretty much takes us through. Um, I think it's time to talk about the show that we will be covering on uh, on this series right now, this first arc, if you will. You know how anime have, like, arcs where they cover, like, uh a certain story that has one big bad that they sort of face at the end of the arc and then they punch him and then they move on to the next one. They got a little buffer between that's sort of how this show's going to go. 
So the first one we're going to be doing is Kunihiko Ikuhara's Sarazamai, which is a very strange show. I love the fact that you and I are doing this because I, I felt like it was a little bit outside of your comfort zone. I, I didn't know it was at the time, <laughs> but now that I've been thrust into it, you are right. Uh, it's been thrust into you. A, Let's get that right, first of all. It's a brave new world. <laughs> okay, so the story of Sarazamai is about three 14-year-old boys who share an intertwined fate. Kazuki, Enta, and Toi. Due to a mishap with a capital or water demon statue in their hometown of Asakusa, they wind up press-ganged into service by Kepi, the lumpy, Disney, Tsum Tsum looking prince of the Kappas, who transforms them by ingesting their human form in a particularly nasty bit of body horror, and excreting them into the world as these adorable, marketable baby Kappa who um, exist between the realm of life and death. And then he sends them into battle against Kappa zombies, the perverted souls of deviant humans. And the boys proceed to, like, do the sort of magical girl thing. They sing, they dance, they, they have their, like, little catchphrases. And then they, then they sort of form, like, a string of anal beads. And they go bursting into the uh, anus of these... <laughs> no, don't stop. This is... <laughs> of these demons... <laughs> Uh, in order to extract what's called the Shirikodama, or butt spirit ball. Uh, meanwhile, they're risking exposure of their own insecurities, secrets, and indiscretions. Once those that balled up, that balled up desire, which is sort of the seat of the soul, if you will, is removed. The zombies are exercised, and they go to heaven, or like the afterlife, or they just move on, or just dissipated. Yeah. And the series is, is, is really interesting because it's told sort of in reverse. Uh, it doesn't give you a lot of information and it withholds a lot. And then it slowly starts giving you details like as to how the kids are connected and uh, what their relationship to, to the characters that you see on screen who seem so disconnected at first. Um, but as you go, you start to see like how this character is connected to this character and how the different interplay between them is affected by the new like details that you uh, uh, that you receive. I, I was reminded of the movie Memento, where yeah. you get these vignettes, and they only make sense, I, I guess, the more you understand. But I, I am I'm only three episodes in, and I'm still I'm still figuring out how everything links together. That's a great point. Our show is told from the perspective of, I have seen the entire series. I have read supplemental things. Dawn comes in fresh. Um, I don't know if this is always going to be the case, but for this series covering Sarazamai, it's going to be the case. Um, and Dawn, you had a bunch of questions about Sarazamai, uh, and I kind of want to start with those. So... I know that this is a lot to take in. There's a lot of Japanese cultural information being delivered. Some of it's just assumed that you know because it was made for a Japanese audience, but some of it, you actually have to dig a little bit in order to get to the heart of the matter. And as I tackled this show in particular, I sort of had to ask myself, is this style without substance or the stylistic flourish is going to add up to something? 
And I'm in my second watch through. And I have to say that I think that the stylistic choices that are made by the director and the writer, they definitely are purposeful and they're sort of adding up to something. So this isn't a case of just like throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. If that's in it, it's a very small part of it. And most everything that you see seems to be put there uh, with some intention. So there's a method to the madness. I believe so. But some of the criticisms of this show are that there is no method to the madness, that it's just a bunch of nonsense. Well, at the moment, it is for me a lot of Sturm und Drang. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things happening, and I don't know how they put together. So let's let me start with a, a simple question: Does Sarazanmai mean anything? Is that what does that mean? So to explain Sarazanmai. Uh, you have to start with the word Sara, which is a huge touch point for the whole series. Basically, it means dish. And the story is about kappa, or water demon, or literally river child, right? It's a sort of traditional Japanese folklore uh, character. They're green-skinned, they, they're sort of human-shaped, and they have webbed hands and feet, and a turtle-like shell or carapace on their back um and they their heads are kind of bald and they have kind of a dish there and it's called the dish and it it holds water and if that water it dries up they lose their power and they're susceptible to like being killed or they're weakened to the point where they can be you know uh defeated so let's talk a little bit about the the desire bead uh, that is... Oh, you just want to uh, dig into that already? You want to dig? Well, you know, you already brought it up. I feel like I feel like glossing over it is not going to work. I, I think it's it's not it's something that is going to resonate in our audience's psyches. Well, only if they set their beads to vibrate. <laughs> is this a thing in Japanese culture? Is this this idea that you know that desires are captured? It can. It doesn't have to be literal, but um, but is that does this have any place in Japanese culture? Is this drawn on anything that that already existed before the show? This idea that they pull the spirit ball from your anus may have had its origins in sort of drowning victims being found with enlarged anuses, which is, I guess, a medically true thing. I, okay. Um, I actually didn't look that up at Victoria, one of my good friends who loves Sarazamai and who I hope we'll be able to talk to at some point. She was telling me that she read about it. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, in addition to that, uh, when I was in Japan, I saw that the folklore persists even today where they use it as a cute little warning. As folklore is often used, um, there was this drainage canal near where I went to school in Hirakata City, and there was a sign right next to the canal that said, like, be careful, kids, the kappa could drag you to the watery depths. But it was basically a warning about how the, the level of the drainage canal would sometimes be low, but it would also sometimes suddenly get high and the current would get fast and it could, you know, drag you away and drown you. So going back to the word Sarazanmai, Sara is dish, right? And there's a character named Sara uh, who ends her sentences with the word, with like a, a, a bastardized English version of the word dish. So she says like, something something dish right because she's like her character is sort of an idol 
but it's also sort of like a mascot for like the local uh, townage or um, municipality. Township, yeah. Township, yeah. I don't know if there's a word townage. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. But that character, I couldn't, that was another sort of, I couldn't quite tell, is this something that is normal or something that is, you know, a conceit of the anime? A little of both, I think. It, it did feel like a, it did feel like a sort of American Idol or, you know, some sort of movies pop star kind of, I couldn't tell, is this supposed to be Britney Spears and everyone's looking up to them, in which they're a national hero, is it somebody, lo- like she, I felt like she was reading the news at one point, and I was like, well, this is weird, like, is she a newscaster? What, right. Is this, what is this? It's semi-almost cyberpunk in a way, you know, where, like, yeah, like, there's this character that just is, it's just pervasive in everything we see. One of the key parts of the series is her daily fortune-telling challenges where she goes on TV and she tells everyone the lucky item of the day and it always seems to have thematic resonance, whether it's a, a fish that also doubles as the word kiss or it's, um, it's a box or a ball. And people just sort of seem to live or die by her word. I want to get more into her in a bit, but she sort of is dressed like a priestess as well, so... There is some kind of weird spiritual connection. The town seems to worship the kappa in some ways because there is a golden statue of a kappa at one point in the kappa square. Just a lot of symbolism of kappa in the town. We talked about the dish. We talked about Sara herself. We talked about the kappa and its folklore. But we haven't yet discussed Zanmai, which the whole title of the show is in hiragana which means it's not committing to one particular reading of it but there's a couple ways to read this and i think the most obvious is that there's three boys each with uh who turn into a kappa with a plate on their head and even during their transformation sequence you can see that the three plates come together to form sort of one plate and when you count flat objects flat thin objects in japanese you say um Ichimai, Nimai, like one plate, two plates. So Sanmai, or in this case, Zanmai, would be three plates. Hmm. But then there's another literal translation of Zanmai, which is often used in like um, grocery pamphlets and things like that, where they're like telling you that if you buy like, if you buy this fish, you'll get a whole bunch of extra fish for free. And that's also called Zanmai, so it's like a lot of fish. And that's actually in the show. At one point, um, Toei is eating uh, the same cat food as Nyantaro, the cat, the, uh, the stray cat that Kazuki takes care of uh, with his little brother. And that is called Sakana Zanmai, which is basically a whole bunch of fish or like mixed fish. A variety pack of fish. A lot of dishes. Is that so? Just just humor me. If I were Japanese and I came across a slip of paper with the word "sarazanmai" on it, would I? I and I didn't know the anime. Would I then be like, "That means a lot of dishes"? Yeah, I think so. But okay. And there are a lot of dishes. There's these dishes that are wishes, and if you collect them all, you get a wish. So I think that was very helpful. You know when I watch through the the first episode the uh the first time it i i had no placement for a lot of these things so i appreciate as well the explanation of the the kappa 
Yeah, it's totally important to understand like all of the like kind of crazy front front loaded images and symbolism of the show. Um, but we really do have to get into it because we're almost a quarter of the way through our show and we haven't even started talking about episode one, two, or three. We're covering three episodes this week, so let's do it. Please, take us through it. We start with kind of a, a kind of fever dream of images, you know, like there's a bunch of stuff happening. We see the Japanese letter A in katakana. It's A, right? Which is kind of like the, the sound of surprise. Most likely it's a reference to Asakusa, uh, part of the branding for the popular tourist spot. Um, it also could refer to anus or anus. That, that's, is that, the, that can't be the Japanese word. Well, it could also be komon, uh, but anus is another way that they say it, probably in medical journals. I don't know, but I've seen it written both ways. So we got the letter A. The letter A seems to be important. We see it on signs. A sign falls. It seems to be some kind of portal. Sometimes it flips and becomes a river otter. (laughs) (laughs) The silhouette of a river otter, which I promise will make sense eventually. It will at least connect to something. There's a lot of stylistic flourishes even in this first opening. Um, People are depicted as paper dolls, except for our main characters and a few scant characters that are in the sort of... uh, periphery and that leads to a scene of kazuki waking up in bed and there's this view of a tower in the distance and he texts someone on yasumi which is like good night and then we get into the intro it's this pop punk burst of energy and then it kind of gets phallic towards the end and um the infinity symbol that sort of represents the three boys and their connections it gets pierced through by this very phallic looking tower (laughs) and the way that it comes up through and leaves one like one circle on either side makes it look like a shaft and balls and (laughs) that can't be a coincidence right no it it simply cannot it doesn't lend itself to an easy understanding in the in the first opening i'll tell you that no Anyway, this boy, Kazuki, he carries a box with him wherever he goes. And that's part of his rules. He has a couple rules. One of them is that he carries a box. The other one is that he always watches Sara uh, do her daily uh, fortune telling or whatever you want to call it. And, um, well, we find out later that he dresses up as her to take selfies to send to some person. Now, I was... Not knowing anything about this show, I thought there would be some, like, weird love relationship between him and this Sara person. And was he, like, unhealthily obsessed with her, which I still don't know the answer to. (laughs) Um, But at the moment, you know, all you know is that his universe appears to be fairly constrained. And we have just the amount of information that you've given to me here. Right. I mean... It's a strange thing, too, because every episode that we watched has a key word delivered by Sara, which just, it reverberates like a rip, it ripples throughout the whole episode. I mean, it is the theme of the episode, and it's not that Sara's intonation or that Sara's um, uh, declaration of it makes the episode, it, it I think she's pulled by the theme of the episode. Like she's she's being led around as opposed to her being some sort of, you know, center. And maybe, I don't know, maybe she is pulling all the strings it's from somewhere on high that creates these situations on the ground. But from what I can tell, like it just happens that 
whatever she says is the theme of that episode to date. And again, I've watched three. <laughs> right. But in those three episodes, we saw um, Box was one. And we know that Kazuki carries a box. Um, and all three characters end up carrying a box. And these boxes sort of contain either some secret or some desire, some passion, something they don't want others to know about. Um, and that becomes very important because all the boxes end up getting stolen and the villain of the episode, which turns into sort of the demon zombie I was referring to before in this first episode, that guy was apparently some creep who liked to put a box on his head and go around and show people his naked body, or he liked to lounge around naked with a box on his head. And he didn't want anyone to know that. So, I mean, it's not something I would volunteer either. So I, I have some sympathy for the position. Um, I mean, are you saying that you want to also put a box on your head? I explicitly said that, uh, I don't so that my point is well, if that's I, what a person who wants to put a box on their head and expose themselves would say, no, no, wait, off I don't, if I want, okay, let's say I did want to do it. All right. I guess the, the implication here is if I want to do it and I'm embarrassed for it, that's the situation that exists in the show. Um, and I am saying, yes, were that me, I too would be embarrassed and not want to share it with the world. The boxes fly into the sky and they, and they drift away. So, I, yeah, I, just to... I, I think it's important to say when you're, when you're talking here um, about this, like, we're introduced to our characters. Um, obviously, this is the first episode. We've got, um, we've got Toei, who you mentioned who's some sort of bad guy, and I, I couldn't even... There's three boys. There's Kazuki, there's Enta, and there's Toei. Um, Kazuki and Toei, he's sort of the bad boy, and the first time we see him, he's breaking into a car with a ruler, and uh, he gets startled by Sara, who we soon find out is Kazuki in drag. He gets startled while he's breaking into a car because cause, uh, Kazuki is trying to get his daily selfie with a box and it just happens to be a bunch of boxes in that garage so toy objects to having his selfie taken while he's committing a crime and gives chase to who he thinks is a girl dressed as sara and then it leads him to kazuki now in boy mode uh, in kappa square and what's funny is his sara costume does not look like the sara that we see on the tv but Although I it being my that. yeah, it being my first watch through, I was similarly confused about it, and I did not have the eye for detail to know that they were different initially. And they, in it, they have a they have a little fight, right? They have a little uh, wrestling match, and Kazuki and him end up falling over and breaking the golden Kappa statue in Kappa Square that I referred to earlier, and it falls over. And basically they're cursed. They end up going to school and they hear this bell. And then like they start doing very like traditionally kappa kind of things. They eat cucumbers viciously, <laughs> voraciously. Voraciously is much better. I mean, it's vicious too, I suppose, anytime you're eating something. Uh, it's a very cartoony segment. They start doing um, sumo wrestling, which kappas are also known to be strong wrestlers. I don't know why. 
I think that a lot of people added to the legends over the years and just sort of created this ridiculous number of things that Kappa are known for. They start doing these things. They start pouring water on their plate, basically, on their top of their head. And they're kind of summoned back. And that's when this grotesque transformation. And I really just want to get your first impressions of this transformation because when I saw it, I was quite uncomfortable with it. I, do, I mean, you had warned me that this was a, a weird anime. And so it really kicked in here. It, I just didn't, I didn't, I couldn't tell, like at this point I couldn't tell, like, are we going to go into the, into the macabre here? Is this, is like, do we have some sort of weird possession going on? I really, like it was still a little bit cartoony and silly, but at the same time, like. Sexy. The boys' bodies are majorly contorted, and they, they nothing looks comfortable about this. Um, and like, what what sort of weird possession is going on? And um, it was, I I honestly, I didn't know what to think. I was sort of overwhelmed by the 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 information flow. I, I did think I was uncomfortable about it because I was like, well, is this is this the prelude to something sexual? And honestly, thinking about it now because this scene is there's it feels stylized as we watch through these and this this particular scene um these transformation scenes are repeated stylistically um throughout and it doesn't feel it it's it's like the the scene of superman going into the phone booth to change clothes yes in the sense of like this is the transformation scene. The transformation scenes just happen to be like absolutely bonkers. Um, what would the the extraction of the of the the soul beat or the you know this this power transformation? And so I did not view it like I, I after the second repetition that was so much like the first. I no longer like I was. It's still weird and jarring, but I it's it becomes more rote and it becomes less. Um, I'm more inured to it, and I just see it as sort of this this transformation aspect. You know what it uh, kind of reminds me of in a similar vein is um, Kill a Kill, uh, which has very also sort of very shocking and um, risque scenes mm-hmm. involving transformation with um, these very suits. Right. And uh, but it's it's all in service to the plot in such a way that you know you you become sort of immune to it but it is definitely the kind of scene where you know you could be watching it for on the sixth episode and you're like oh here it comes again and then if you happen to be watching it and somebody you care about who's never watched a show walks in you'd be like i may need to i may need to explain this so you don't think i'm insane the style of the anime makes it look like the boys are very young to me when i first started watching it i thought they were about 12 uh it turns out they're in high school I was a little uncomfortable with how sexualized they appeared, um, not just as the boys, but as the kappa as well. They had this kind of strange, fairy-like, nubile quality to them. The thin legs. Right. I don't know why, but the energy kind of counterbalances that because it's it's not. It's done like a magical girl anime where like the transformations are elaborate and beautiful and... like gem and the holograms or sailor moon sailor moon yeah 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 moon prism power magic makeup right like but in this case there's this grotesque 
aspect to it. That does venture into body horror, I would say. Kind of like Cronenberg. I think there's one point where like the entire insides of somebody is sucked out. Or it's not actually happening, but it's the, that's the implication. Um, and it's part of the transformation, so it's not like there's an empty husk of a human sitting there. But I, I, I agree with you. Everybody was of indiscriminate age at this point. And I, I do think the boys are older than they otherwise seem to appear. Toei is like robbing... He's like <laughs> Grand Theft Auto here, stealing cars, doing all sorts of things that are... Um, not what I assume 12-year-old boys are doing. Yes, although he does brandish a ruler as a weapon, so I'm not sure how old... Yeah, but not that episode, but later he's got a gun, so... I mean, yeah, you know, I, I watch The Wire. There's definitely 12-year-old hoodlums out there, but it, he's also attending the same high school as as um, as Kazuki, and so I just didn't think that it was going to be that big of a... I, I, just, I thought that he was a little more respectable than... You know that. Kara, we should talk about the third boy because we've done a lot of talking about Kazuki and Toy, but we haven't talked yet about Enta. Uh, Enta isn't even involved in the initial, like, statue destruction that dooms Toy and Kazuki to service uh, under the Kappa Prince, but it seems like it's just bad luck, but Enta shows up at the exact wrong time mistakenly says something that sounds like frog and that enrages Kepi and he turns him as well into a kappa Uh, you could argue that that's supposed to be part of this uh, the the, the mysterious ways in which the the lord the, the universe works right but anyway apparently Kazuki stopped playing soccer and Enta wants him to be part of the team again and resume his role as one half of the golden pair of soccer yeah and you're like well what it's so what uh soccer is important to the story because it comes up several times in these first three episodes we also get to see where enta lives and we saw that he lives with his grandmother and we saw that he doesn't seem to have much money his sister kind of scolds him for spending more than he has because she thinks that the Amazon box that he has in his hands is something that he ordered. But it's actually something he's holding for Kazuki. Yeah. Yeah. Enta, well, I mean, I just, I still don't know much. I, I know more about Enta. Because this really is showcased in episode three. Enta's relationship with Kazuki. Right. Well, we'll get back to that and more when we return from this short break. Hey DJ, give me a Home Depot style beat. Hey Riley. Yeah, Andrew. What do you say we build ourselves a podcast? That's a great idea, but what should it be about? So I'm thinking podcast where I call my grandma Jane and explain to her the plot of an anime. Podcast titled Don't Listen to My Dad. A Lin Manuel Miranda Epic Rap Battles of Mystery podcast. What if we call it The Podcast Minds? There but for the grace of pod go we. And it comes out every Friday. <laughs> Riley, I want you to know that we're trying to make podcasts and not weapons here. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> hey, Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe. I watched for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. 
I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month, the best. Did Did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real life politics and events. I I must have forgotten. What? Where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? Welcome back to A Question of Podcast Anime with Friends. We were just discussing Sarazanmai episodes 1 through 3, but we did not talk about what happens when they pull this Shirikodama from the zombie demon. Um, they also seem to sort of start leaking something of themselves when this happens. And it's always related to both the theme and their own secrets that they're harboring in their connection to others. So they, when they defeat the demon or pull out um, the the bead there, which the this is the funniest part of the episode. They like they hold it aloft, and on it is written a symbol. And my because I am not reading Japanese, the the subtitle pops up for me helpfully, and it just says "but." <laughs> so they're holding up the bead, and it, you know I'm seeing this scene. They're, they're very triumphant, and then the subtitle pops up helpfully. But right there, it's uh, it, I I laughed pretty hard the first time I saw that once. They have beaten the demon, which happens in a very stylized way. Like they, they emerge on the battlefield, and I, you know, I think when we were talking about this earlier, you mentioned that, and I hadn't really picked up on this. They're running through some sort of tunnel, like the Kappa trans um, transports them to the battlefield, if you if you will. And you said that the tunnel had all sorts of meaning ascribed to it, and I I was not picking up on that at all when I was watching. Yeah, the tunnels are interesting. Um, remember how I said that there was a lot of detail in the show and that it would sort of reveal itself in a second viewing or a third viewing. But in this case, I'm not sure that the American audience picked up on it. But even in the tunnel that they're traveling in by rickshaw, they're, they're traveling through this like underworld, basically. When they become the Kappa, they, become, they, get, they, they go to some place between death and the living um, where they can see that the things that they thought were floating, like boxes or cats or uh, fish, girls or women. I mean, yeah, no, the fish was the kissing one. Not that I, not that I equate women with fish. It's just that the show does. So, um, the things that were floating were being carried by ghosts uh, of a sort. They call them zombies, but they look like ghosts. They sound like ghosts. They are, for all intents and purposes, ghosts. When they're passing by, it'll say something like, cats are our connection to something, or I forget what one of the ones was like, but there's there's definitely a lot of thought that goes into each of these themes and how they connect. And I started to think a couple times while watching this that, and this is just the first three episodes, but that maybe reality isn't exactly what we're seeing. Maybe we're seeing some stylized version of reality based on... Oh, you don't like, say ghosts carrying boxes around is not reality? But maybe there's no 
reality of the show. Maybe the whole thing is some kind of metaphor or some kind of representation of feelings that characters are going through or experiences they had. Maybe what we're seeing isn't actually what's happening. And I think you have to do that in a lot of different media, but there's a lot of evidence that like this world is so laser focused on the themes and the actual scene of fighting the zombie. Like I, I didn't, I didn't fully understand this and it, it, is a very, again, another repetitive, stylized scene. I'm saying stylized in the sense that what we see happens over and over again. Right. And it happened in the three episodes. The combat or the, the scene was extremely similar. They, they launch onto the field of battle. They declare they're going to take out the zombie. They turn into this whirligig, and they, the, the zombie is striking at them, and they like generate this little shield, and it's very turbulent. They get knocked around. And then they get behind the zombie because the zombie is usually a large yes. manifestation of a person. And one of them gets catapulted into the anus of the zombie um, <laughs> in a very visceral and, dare I say, icky and uncomfortable mean or the scene. Um, the coppers get just like injected into the anus like you you have to go fully in there it's not like you're reaching a hand in it's like your whole body has to go into the anus of this oversized demon yes um and that's super gross i mean it's 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 got a it has to be intended to be gross in my mind like there's no way to have done this without that and then you know it takes the other two kappa to yank the the one who went in out and then they're holding aloft the triumphant butt pearl um and and then they they this you know all this happens yes i presume it's uncomfortable because it's meant it's meant to be an uncomfortable you're facing your uncomfortability with these these themes and desires that these zombies have perverted or you know these these are the in principle i suppose they could start out as medium normal desires and then they consume the the ho- the ghost or the the evil zombie demon that is manifesting them until it totally subsumes the personality of that individual and they are they're i mean this is it's supposed to be a natural right the kappa is returning yes the world to a state of normalcy so this is the zombie has to be defeated because they're they're perverting reality and so this but at the same time and this is this sort of is the crux of the whole show isn't it in my mind like it is this scene after where they the boys are all returning with the pearl to the kappa and they are one of them is forced to reveal a deep dark personal secret um on the way uh this is sort of like the whole the the vulnerability that that they are and and i i didn't know if you had any particular thoughts on that yourself like this to me was you know this is where the growth and the character development is happening in this first episode, um, which is themed around boxes, the box that Kazuki has been carrying this whole time ends up holding his greatest secret. And it's almost like by exercising this demon that has perverted the meaning of these boxes, that Kazuki's secret is unleashed. It's leaked out, as they say. <laughs> which 
there's there's this whole image of like a like a silhouette of a man or a boy facing like to the side and then like little like anal leakage just sort of spraying out of the butt and that ends up being these secrets and what happens is all three of the boys who share this anal bead connection to each other they share that one secret with each other so like we have as humans like borders between each other right like I don't know what you're thinking unless you give me some clue as to what you're thinking. But if we were somehow connected and what you're thinking becomes what I'm thinking, I, I would know you in a deeper level and our connection would either grow or grow apart, but it would definitely be affected. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what happens to the boys when they remove these beads and feed them it almost feels like they're refining the beads because the the kepi, purifying kepi right purifying refining kepi never eats them right out of the anus they they go through the boys first out of their hands then they become this the, the anal beads become this glowing sphere and then kepi eats that and that seems to be what sustains him. Not sure, but it's really unclear at this point if there is right. a greater meaning to that. I haven't seen it yet. Um, let's talk for a minute about you said stylized, but that doesn't even come close to describing what happens. It's a musical. Oh yeah, it's very. <laughs> it's and a the whole musical routine. Lyrics change depending on the theme or the theme of the monster. So if it's a monster about cats, as it is in the second episode. Uh, the cats become the sort of like touch point, but lots of the lyrics are the same. So they're repeating a lot, but there's a couple places where it changes. And I think that's interesting. And there's a dance that goes with it too, which it, it's almost very Japanese looking like a, almost like a festival dance. It's very, I felt like they were like, speed skaters, honestly, in, in some of them. Right. Right. Because they are skating on this weird water tunnel. Yeah. Uh, I think we were also at one point previously talking about how, again, you know, is this sexual? Is it not sexual? Like it, and I, you know, my thought here is it's not as if they can accidentally show genitals in a cartoon. Like someone has to consciously make the decision to draw them if you are going to see them. So I, you know, while the boys are nude or they appeared nude in this skating, like to me it was, it was more about the nudeness represented vulnerability as opposed to sexuality. Exactly. Exactly. But it is hard to distinguish sometimes because um, this director in particular is known to play both the, as you said, the highfalutin stuff and also the lowbrow humor, highbrow, lowbrow. Like there's images and like, as you go along, there's like emotional, like big feels that, um, and 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 artistic expression you know like um using different musical styles to represent the different characters um that's in the show but then they have like fart jokes or then they'll do something really like ribald you know mm-hmm. I, I i also feel like you know you mentioned that these secrets are being shared amongst each other but so far the secrets feel more about the boys just just it's all there are secrets in some ways, almost from themselves, like, especially when we're talking about the kiss episode, um, 
It's shame. I would say that's the word that yeah, I didn't yeah. say that I probably should have added in yeah. there. Yeah, well, there definitely is shame there, but I also felt like it was, in some ways, part of becoming an adult is accepting who you are and accepting, you know, the things about you that you otherwise think the world can't handle or won't be ready for. Or you're not ready to share them with the world because you're not ready for the consequences. But, um, but to me, that is part of what... Um, you know, that's part of what they're coming to grips with and how they're growing as people. Um, and so, you know, there can be a lot of shame in these kinds of things, but they've got to release these secrets to, to grow up. You can't get hung up on them. That's a good point. Um, but how does that work with what you learn about Kazuki? Um, because it turns out that he's not dressing up because he has some fetish for dressing up or he's transgender like I am. He's dressing up because he's trying to uh, appeal to his younger brother, Haruka. Yeah, it, yeah, and it's hard not to talk about these episodes sort of as one unit because, <laughs> again, in that same memento theme, like the more you know about these characters the more earlier episodes make sense and it just seems impossible to like you say that now but if we had only watched the first episode i wouldn't have i wouldn't necessarily agree with you and honestly i still don't necessarily agree with you and i looked over i looked over the the reactions uh of people who were watching it in real time and many people thought that that's the direction it was going that it was going to be he secretly wants to be sarah he wants to be a woman and that he's just playing pretend to express some side of him that he wasn't able to otherwise express. Or I would have said they or she, but we do get a pretty firm confirmation, I think, that he is not doing that, that he is doing this to, um, to connect in some way. We don't know why at the third episode, but... True. We have no idea. I have to be careful here because I do know why. But yeah, I I mean, I have to say to me, the the jury is totally still out because in the second episode, which is all about the cat and this one delves a little more into um, Kuji and and Kazuki's relationship. Well, and and it's a nascent relationship. It's just happening now. Like we're watching it going forward in time. You know, there's the there's this I assume it's played comedically scene where um Kuji and Kazuki end up in this sort of lovers uh, where Kazuki is seen as as the woman and they have to hold hands through the entire thing. And, and they have to uh, dress as, a, as bee ninjas because that yeah, is a thing. <laughs> definitely. I, you know, I would love it if you could uh, do a little research and, and find me an equivalent uh, amusement park in Japan. I'm wondering if you can even find one that... Uh, is for couples only. I, I wouldn't put it past you. Uh, but but if you did, I'm confident that not everyone would have to dress as a bee. No, probably not. And I don't know in this day and age whether that ever happens. Uh, yes, Kazuki totally plays the role of the girl very well. And my thought looking at him was that that is clearly he's a girl. But they also do a no homo joke. Like... Kazuki is with Toy, and he's already dressed as Sara because he was going to take one of those uh, daily fortune-telling selfies uh, with the cat, and they're chasing this cat, and 
they look up at this sign and it says like couples only and then the two of them agree they don't need the cat after all even though the cat ate Kuji's drugs and he's trying to kill the cat and Kazuki's trying to stop him from killing the cat. He's trying to gut the cat to get his drugs back. They decide that they don't need to do it after all. They can just wait till tomorrow when the cat's not at a place that's going to have to force them to be a couple. But then typical anime things happen and some weird ninja guy puts their hands together, dresses them up instantly, and they end up inside this theme park going through their madcap anime adventures. Two boys, one dressed as a girl, the other. There's a couple things that we have um, skipped over that I think are, first of all, this is, I, I don't know if you want to talk about the dishes you're referring to the ones uh, that are the result of defeating the zombies. So um, every time they beat a zombie, Kepi rewards them with a dish of hope, uh, which will... Because of these dishes, you will get a, a wish granted. Um, and they hilariously waste their first wish on, um, on a giant... sushi that I would describe yeah. as inedible. And a giant <clears throat> kapamaki, which is like the... The one with the, the the cucumber in it. But then, once everybody realizes that these dishes have real power, um, that that spurs them to continue to work with the kappa. To uh, and I, I assume that's the main reason they're willing to keep going and slaying these demons. But um, I can't tell if they're slaves of the kappa or if they if this is a voluntary like. They are empowered by the Kappa. He seems to want to give them that choice. I don't know if he has the power to make them do it. I mean, he can turn them into Kappa, but he can't make them go out and, like, exercise these demons. It has to be within their self-interest to do so. I, I guess so. But it also seems like it's within everybody's best interest if they vanquish these demons. Because, you know... Uh, like, right, but in the third episode, the, the third episode, it's Enta's sister who's in jeopardy. Right, like the, the, there's a great deal of self-interest there. But I honestly think that that episode was was going against the grain of what you were saying because this one really fleshes out the relationship that Enta has with Kazuki, and we finally start seeing all right. So what, how are these boys all interlaced? And this one had this one actually to me was where things started to click, and this felt more like an like an anime where I I could finally start following a plot and understanding what's going on. This is the one where I think things started to click and this is where I was as well, you know, you're you've you have been fairly adamant that um Kazuki is is not a girl uh and is not trying to be a girl. Um but there is Enta here is clearly wants wants to be with Kazuki not necessarily in a physical sexual way but like definitely loves kazuki mm-hmm. and wants to be uh spending time with kazuki and I, I can't tell if it's sort of like a lord of the rings frodo samwise like that's the that's the platonic ideal of the friendship right because like there's absolutely you yeah. know you can you can read the entirety of jrr token's masterpieces and i, I mean I, maybe there's a kiss in there. I don't know, but there is like no sexuality that I can I can think of. Um, and then you know, so it could be a very asexual kind of like I absolutely love this person. That doesn't mean I want to sleep with them. But he he does. Enta does kiss Kazuki, and 
wants to express to Kazuki how important Kazuki is to him. And his wish turns out to be that he wants to play soccer with him again. Right. It's not like I want to be bonded to Kazuki or I, I want to have a relationship with Kazuki. It's I, the relationship I had is what I want. Right. Right. I wanted us to be the golden duo. I wanted us to play soccer together. To me, that that has to be, if we're... My interpretation of that is that Enta is not yet comfortable with the fact that he's gay <laughs> or interested in, in men in any way. Well, see, that's my question. Like, is this, is it that Enta is still a child and wants, like... Surely he is. It, it can also be something that's like, you know, we, we have relationships. Those relationships grow and change as we grow and change. And is Enta... Is into hungering after something that simply can't exist anymore, and is now being overtaken by his own nascent sexuality. Well, before you say or, that his feelings are too chaste, you have to remember some of the things they show us. Well, you're, you're right. Yes, he goes and sniffs Kazuki's dirty uh, jersey. He takes his flute, his recorder, out of his bag and gives it a blowjob. So this is. All right, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're 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 throwing, um, shall we say, valid critiques on my <laughs> chaste love sort of situation here. Right, but there's definitely a part of of Enta that he's not comfortable with confronting, and yeah. he's not comfortable with expressing. Um, and even when he's given the chance, he tries to, right? But Kazuki is way too quick. He, I think he does in his head. The, the, oh, the, right, the, all the fantasies he has. Right, the, the fantasy sequences versus the quote-unquote what happens in reality. And this is n not the only show to do this trope, but here it is very difficult for you to tell where one ends and the other begins, or was for me. And so, you know, you think he's professed his love to Kazuki, and as a result, Kazuki has accepted that love, and they're going off in the sunset, but no, that, that is not what had happened. And even though you would think, like, okay, if we're going to have a big secret reveal in this episode, it's it's going to be Enta admitting that he wants to have a relationship with Kazuki, but it's, no, it's just Enta just admitting something a couple steps back from that. Right. You know what I'm interested in? I want to know whether if Enta was a, if Enta's a boy and Kazuki is a girl, if this is any better, really, because it feels like it's it's really a violation of not only their like friendship trust. I'm curious to hear you say that. I, I guess to me it is no. It is more obvious and uh, or clearer if it's if if Kazuki is a girl, then Enta's whole system here is about the the danger that one is. To me, the reflection is. There is a danger from moving to a from a trusted friendship to a relationship status because there is the potential to lose both, um, and so that's a very challenging step to take. Um, while as the same obviously is true um, in a homosexual relationship when you're moving from a deep friendship to a romantic relationship, but then there's also, and I I don't you know this is a recent. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. I think he has a lot to lose. Yes. So he definitely has a lot to lose there. But also, if he's not comfortable with his sexuality, then that would be the extra icing on the cake to make this all the more dangerous. And that you're right that that, um, that comfort with 
Enta's comfort with his own sexuality is not apparent. No, and and he is growing up, and and there, I don't know. I don't want to speak about Japan in generalities, but it is not always the most welcoming to gay and lesbian people. It seems that way on a very surface level, like. Japanese, um, that was one of the first places I saw Japanese transgender people come out and, and gay people come out on TV, right? Just very swishy, very flaming style, like very out gay people. Like it was probably more prevalent there than it was in American media. <laughs> but I don't think they caught up quite as much. And um, some of the things about their society seem to... Uh, not support it to the extent that you might hope it was supported. I mean, it's still fraught everywhere, I would say. And I mean, even you can go back to... I don't know if it's fraught here anymore. I don't. I don't know. Because I live I live in metropolitan areas. I don't... Well, and I was, in fact, just about to make that, to stress that particular point. Like, you are safe in, you know, you feel the most comfortable in a urban or suburban environment that is attached to that than you right. would in, I'm just, and I don't mean to disparage any particular state, but I'll throw Kansas Fuck out Iowa. there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, you know. And I mean, the these are challenging themes in the best of times. So yeah. I am very curious to see where it goes. There's a lot of secrets here that are not known to us, the audience. They are known to you, Sabrina, but not to me. <laughs> and so I am very curious to see where it goes. And also, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't say, like, when we were talking about Beastars, I thought there were some very compelling elements to the animation. I thought the animation style was very good. This one is bright and colorful and in your face. It's very entertaining to watch. Uh, and the, there is, as we've talked about, a lot of shock value in, in what they're doing. But I'm, I'm curious. There's also, like, the... I just have to say the demons are super weird, and I'm trying to understand. And there's a couple of things we haven't touched, and I, I don't think we'd have time for it in this podcast. But like the the whole thing related to the the policeman, like I'm very curious to see what that's all about because I don't get it at all. Well, they have their own song. It's yeah, they do. I well, they're. I I have to admit, in the first episode, I honestly thought it was filler i didn't understand that it was going to be something i don't think they sang in the first one no, they? they made an appearance i think at the end of the first episode they were there was yeah and i was like what is this is this even the same am i watching the same show uh i just basically didn't... i think they're making monsters uh well you I, again i i can't tell yet but obviously there's something going on there not well i'll have to figure it out they have a gun <laughs> and it has a setting it has this weird flag on it that says extract and they point it at somebody and they say they're going to open a door for them. And at that time, that person's alive, but at some point they die. And then they become these weird, like they extract their like desire and they use their desire to create these monsters. Yeah. But, um, I mean, but there's, there's a whole, to what end? yeah, to what end? And there's a boss that's getting upset with them because the, the kappas are, destroying the monsters but it sounds like the boss wanted these guys to destroy the monsters the whole thing i don't get yet they're like in the business of warped human desire or something but we'll discuss that in our wrap-up of episode three when we return
I'm Cam. I'm Jory. And we're the hosts of CWFP. The casual wrestling fan podcast. Your weekly universe-friendly alternative for WWE wrestling recaps, discussion, and riffs from two friends who just love wrestling. And occasionally also New Japan, Impact, and all Elite thoughts as well. If you're tired of Mark's constantly booing a product they <laughs> regularly support and pay for, you can find us hosted on the Orange Groves Network or through your preferred podcasting app. Wait, why won't The Undertaker stop booing the company? Hello, you beautiful blood-sucking babes. I'm Sahana. And I'm Kat. And we're the hosts of Summer Twilight Book Club, a podcast where two dumb bitches with social work degrees reread the four horniest books of their teenage years. If you're at all curious about any of the following, this is the podcast for you. Does Bella Swan have a car crash fetish? Yes, I am telling you right now the answer is yes. Does Stephanie Meyer understand healthy relationship boundaries? Has Bella Swan ever had a secure attachment in her life? How has Twilight impacted the societal and my personal conceptions of romance? Why does Stephanie Meyer owe Sahana and all other brown people reparations? Why is Edward Cullen so into edging? You can find Summer Twilight Book Club at theorangegirls.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you access podcasts to find out. Police officers we were discussing before the break are named Rayo and Mabu. Rayo being the one with the uh, blonde hair and Mabu the one with the glasses. Every time they're foiled by Kepi and his squad of Kappa boys, they get scolded or they lose face with their boss. And there's some weird details in their song. Um, it's a really catchy song. It's also... Very Japanese sounding to me. I don't know about to you, but it it has almost an Enka style. I will say that this show is all Japanese to me in the style of it's all Greek to me. <laughs> um, but yes, no, this feels, I mean, if you, dear listener, are uh, watching this particular show, you are you are in the deep realms of Japanese, in my opinion. This, this is, not... is a cultivated reality. That's what I was trying to get at earlier. Oh, that's a great phrase. I like that a lot. It's like you are getting, you have to, in order to not enjoy it, but in order to sort of like surrender yourself to it, you can't pick apart each individual thing. You just kind of have to accept what they give you and hope that you start connecting those dots throughout. There, there um, is a leap of faith that you as the watcher need to have in order to get into this one. At the end of the officer's song and dance, they one of them turns to the other in sort of a romantic gesture that looks very tragic, and he reaches into his heart, his glowing chest, and rips out a clockwork heart that's still sort of attached. Very normal. Uh, no, I, Very normal. You know, we talked about this uh, previously, and I still, <laughs> still got nothing on this one. I don't know how to how to react to it. So this is a mystery that needs to unfold. I will say, of the characters that we have been introduced to, I find that um, Kuji is the one I, I I still Kazuki feels like the one with the the most the the central backstory. But I'm fascinated by Kuji because I'm like. Who is this mini gangster, right. and what is going on? Because like he is in fact very powerful. Like he he can 
he, he can beat other people up. He's running a criminal enterprise, um, not something you expect from a lot of high schoolers. So I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the character and I want to, I want to see where this, where this goes. Yeah. He, they haven't given us any of his backstory yet. Really. We just know he has a brother and that they're involved in illicit activities. Kazuki and Enta get a lot of their like story out there in these, especially Kazuki. And we didn't even talk about the fact that the cat that they are chasing, the one that stole the drugs from Toi, is actually stolen. It's a pet that was stolen by Kazuki from a neighbor's yard. Um, and he clipped the ear to make it appear as if the cat had been neutered and uh, was approved to be what's called a neighborhood cat or like an, an officially approved, government-approved stray. That's pretty fucked up. No, that's a pretty terrible thing to do, honestly. I mean, if you had to mark down on, like, a scale of good and bad, like, I'm sorry, this one weighs out on the bad. Like, you don't steal a cat, and you don't even bring it home with you. You make it a neighborhood cat so your brother can see it on occasion. Right. <laughs> it's not even caring for the cat. Right, and, and let's go back and just look at Enta warns Kazuki that Kuji is totally dangerous because he opens his box because they get switched at some point. And in Enta's, and in, in, in Kuji's box is a gun that looks like it's seen some use. So like... And I mean, I think from... I just have to interject. From a US society standpoint, having a gun is... I mean, it's an escalation, but lots of people have guns. My understanding is in Japan, like, nobody's got a gun. So this is a real major red flag. Yeah, and only in recent years has anime really embraced, like... uh, This is probably going to be disproven, but I do feel like only in recent years has anime really embraced a realistic gun that's used in realistic violence. Not like an anime gun that's used in over-the-top violence. Something that's like used by children to slay other children or adults. So like (laughs) (laughs) the point is it's shocking. Also shocking. You talked about how the zombies are ugly, but the people who make the zombies are really ugly. I talked about the guy with the box on his head, but he's the most like mundane of them. Like the other guy skins cats and makes a cat suit out of them to try to, win over his girlfriend who dumped him because she likes cats and not him. Yeah. He wanted her to love him as she does her cats. Which is just... It's, yeah, that's not... Um, I did the mind-blown... No, well, that, again, that's, that's a perversion, style. right? That's it's like... perversion, it, exactly. It's... The desire, the initial desire is understandable. Like, you want to be, you want your girlfriend to love you. And then we take it one step further, like, we're jealous of the cats. We want our girlfriend to love us like she loves the cats. And then you go off the deep end, we will skin a bunch of cats so that we appear like a cat to have our girlfriend treat us like a cat so that we feel loved. Yes. Um, And in the third episode, it's a guy who... He's a fishmonger, um, and he has multiple wives that he's married, and he he uses them to get 
funds and money in a in a scheme, I guess. And he convinces them to kill themselves for some reason, or he kills them, making it look like suicide. I wasn't entirely certain. Yeah, I was. I was unclear as well. But there's death involved. It's not good. But it's all represented by a kiss, which is a play on words because kiss is a peck between two lips or a lip and a cheek. But it's also a type of fish, like a whiting or a smelt. So um, the girls float away like brides but they turn into fish when they reach the sort of like desire factory that processes these people that are sort of the victims of the demons. Luckily, our Kappa boys are able to stop it all and release them back. Yeah, we haven't, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, there's a couple things to bring up. Would we see any villains that the Kappas are unable to defeat? Um, what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Like it has, it's not a, it's not about the battles. It's there's, this yes. is not a, this is not a show about um, fighting. It's not a show about special abilities. Like, that's not what this when is. When you described it earlier, you made it sound so exciting. But watching it, there is zero tension. Well, it's a lot of kinetic. Yeah, maybe in the first one, but like it, once you realize the same thing happens every time. Right. Like it's it's a, that's not where the big reveal is happening. The big reveal happens as we discussed. Go on, go on. Right. It's it is the same thing that happens every time. There's slight variations, but literally there is no there's no doubt in your mind that they're going to succeed. And I guess you could point out any random Sentai show um, and just say that that's probably true like when they pull the giant sword out of the air that you pretty much it's a pretty much a done deal that the enemy will be vanquished but it somehow feels different here i don't know like they're just going through the motions to get us to point b yeah um absolutely and and that's i mean it's fine because that's not where the story hinges this is not uh naruto this is not (laughs) Exactly. So let's talk about the kiss at the end of episode two and just go straight into episode three where they don't deal with it because Enta can't deal with it. He can't deal with his emotions. Kazuki Uh, passes out. He finally gets his picture. um, He finally gets his picture with a cat and he passes out. And Enta goes up to him while he's dressed as Sara, which was a little confusing at first. And he kisses him. Without telling him. Well, I mean, he's passed out, so he, yeah, there's no, the kiss just happens. Uh, you're right that Enta, it doesn't just happen, Enta makes it happen, but you're dealing with sort of a totally, like a Kazuki doll. <laughs> I mean, Kazuki is not at all aware of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, again, it's not cool. <laughs> no. None of these characters have are, are imp- unimpeachable morally. <laughs> they've all seemed to do, they've all seemed to have done things that other characters would judge them harshly for. And so when we get to Enta's reveal, uh, which happens after he takes the lead and pulls the anal bead from the, the fishmonger demon, right? When he does that, um, we find he he leaks the information that not only does he love Kazuki, but that he kissed him. And Kazuki seems only to pick up on the fact that he was kissed and not that 
Enta's been a total creeper. Well, it's weird. Like, Enta doesn't... It seems like Toei was the recipient of a lot of these um, visions. Yes, absolutely. Like, he gets all the creepy stuff. But Kazuki must also be in denial of, like, the fact that his friend could do that. Or, I don't know that it's denial, but it's like... It's like Kazuki sees through it and just goes for the the pure-hearted... This is the 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 reference back to the, the the purity of the the brotherhood love or whatever you might have like yeah you know you love me i i love you too you know it's or yes of course we're going to be the golden pair like that's who we are and there's no acknowledgement of any more basal desires or any more purient um uh activities it's just yeah you know of course we'll we'll be buds forever um Right, he thinks that it's a, a gag set up by the soccer club. Yeah, I don't know. Gag is the right word. He, he thinks that he was dared to kiss Kazuki. Yeah, even like, and that doesn't make any sense, buddy, because Kazuki was dressed as Sara, which nobody else knows. So for the soccer club to be like, you got to go kiss Kazuki. So Kazuki, I said denial, but like, it's more like he's. Assuming the best of his friend. Yes, yes. Um, I would agree with that. Assumes the best of his friend and and also isn't interested in scratching the surface any deeper. Yes. Or scratching the anus any deeper. Oh, God. Please, uh, Dad. <laughs> I, yeah. okay. it's, late, it's late audience. We... We are recording at 12 a.m. because we had a a technical difficulty. Um, I had a bad internet connection and I lost Dawn temporarily. So it's 12 a.m. That's the kind of level of (laughs) discourse I'm willing to put up. Uh, I really like the fact that there's a pun here too, which is that Kaiso means flashback, but it also means seaweed. So when they do the Kaiso flashback, they also show seaweed. And there's bubbles, and they use that as the transition. So there it is, that kind of like, it's like a highbrow idea delivered in a lowbrow package. You <clears throat> you saw that, and I assure you I didn't. It would not have That's gotten That's fine. It. I'm doing it for the audience that picked up on it and for people who might not have picked up on it. This, what, this, is, this is the best bit of doing this with you is, I mean, I would never get that detail myself. Yeah, uh, the golden duo... Is, you, is united by this anklet called a misanga, uh, which I believe is from Portugal. Um, it, it refers to the, the beads that make up the pattern. And it represents the promise that they will play soccer together forever. Seems like, you know, as an adult, uh, that's a very unrealistic promise. But okay, let's run. I agree. I agree. And so his wish is... For them to, for him to return, for Kazuki to return, because Kazuki left soccer for reasons we don't yet know, but that might be related to whatever's going on with him and his family. So there's, I mean, yeah, you've you've thoroughly punctured my, whoa, my brotherly love uh, attitude. What did I puncture? I, I I just told you. Is there you. a leakage? Do you want to leak no. something? God, not in this, not not over the over the carpet. I'll tell you that. Um, is it a nice carpet? Is it carpet yeah, expensive? Yeah, it's a nice carpet. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cheap it out over here. <clears throat> um, the relationship that that this 
we've we've talked a lot about it, but like, yeah, I'm. Enta really doesn't know, doesn't seem to know what Enta really wants. Like Enta's body seems to know what Enta wants. Enta was compelled to go uh, kiss. I, I don't think it didn't almost feel like a rational choice. It was like Enta was compelled by hormones to go and kiss Kazuki. Not, yeah. Uh, yeah. not, not like I made a decision. This is what I want to do. It's like I couldn't help myself, and now what do I do about it? Yeah, but you know, that's still awfully shady. Yeah, the, the... Uh, let's get back to the show for a second here because Enta is becoming super protective of the spot that he and Kazuki played soccer in his kids. And I, I would just like to point out this seems to be a terrible place to practice soccer because you're kicking balls at a stone wall that they can then pop over the edge of the of the into the river or whatever it is they're right at the edge of the river so, so Japan that doesn't I mean, have grass what do you say yeah that's that's Japan the other point not have a lot of grass it's mostly dirt that's where i see kids play soccer there um the dirt's okay it's just it's like the other day i looked out my window here and there are people playing beer pong on a balcony you know three stories off the ground. I can tell you that's not a great way to keep your beer pong balls. Right. Like, you're gonna lose them. That's all there is to it. But also, just buy a lot of balls. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess. I guess you but... buy a lot of soccer balls. Though. Right, that's the thing. Like that, you, It's easy to buy a 40-pack of ping pong balls. Um, I can't imagine what a 40-pack of soccer balls would uh, set you back. Yeah, that's... They, I remember so, soccer balls being very expensive when I was a kid. That's because when we were a kid, everything was expensive. I'm 27, by the way. Yeah, sure you are. But we are so far off our course right now. Um, I just want to bring us back to the episode three theme, which is Kisu, or Kiss. And it's it's Enta who becomes completely enraged uh, when the Kappa zombie reveals his motivation. Because he thinks that the kiss he gave to Kazuki and his like one track obsession with Kazuki has more valor than Keith's. I'm saying Keith because that's how they write it, but that's the name of the fishmonger who sells kiss or Keith. Keith sells Keith by the Keister. Keister. There you go. There, I mean, there really is a lot of wordplay in this one and I, I could barely follow it. But he says, a kiss is for one person. All right. And he gets really mad at him because um, I guess Keith wanted to kiss lots of people and divide his divide their love into sections so that he could devour it. <laughs> Don't really understand. This one I couldn't quite understand. Like, he wanted to, to, uh, to, as you mentioned, kiss a lot of women. But then, like, what was the weird... Like, they were all... The women were all dressed in these old-timey outfits. These, like... I thought the same thing, and I was like... I know you were highly critical of the outfits in Beastars that the women had to wear, that the girl characters wore. And I was like... I just did not think they were as sharp as what the men were wearing. I liked the sort of retro sailor vibe, but... um, Or nautical vibe, but the the wedding dresses are totally ugly. And they're all... They all look exactly the same. They're kind of like these weird show window mannequins. I assumed it was kind of... 
it was like an 1800 sensibility where but it was also like um i was thinking like the uh, like a the mormon multiple brides sort of thing going on oh like sister wives um polygamy that's what i that's where i was actually getting that vibe like was he trying to have a harem but then he was trying to kill them i that but it just i got confused yes um and let's talk about the bombshell at the end here you know we were talking a little bit about kazuki's brother haruka who i assumed was a girl at first um just because it was a very feminine character and the hair was long the name haruka reads as female to me but we learn it's his little brother i know we talked about this and you said you didn't really feel any which way about the gender yeah but, I, to um, me i was not confused because i it didn't it's a japanese name so haruka doesn't mean anything to me we have been seeing the character throughout and there's really no indication on first viewing that haruka is wheelchair bound but we find out at the end of the third episode that this whole time his brother has been unable to walk um, and is being treated at a hospital. And it just didn't come up because the show withheld that information. Now, did you like sort of the feel that like getting that information suddenly makes you like reconsider a lot of the scenes? Did you have that M night moment where all the like, not yet, not yet, but I, it is, it's deepening the mystery, if you will. Like here is where we're actually getting some emotional stakes and we're starting to realize, Hey, something is going on that, and this is where to me, it's like, all right, we really do have a backstory to Kazuki that is perhaps more dark than previously anticipated. Mm. Um, you know, stealing like, and it's all in service of the brother right now. Like I don't, we, everything has centered around the relationship that Kazuki has with his brother, but it also seems like he's been pulling away and is distant from his brother in one avenue and in the real world avenue and then is creating this whole fantasy existence trying to get closer in the other so it's 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 tough yeah that's a i agree 100 percent. i think that's a great interpretation of it it feels like i've been looking through the, the show like this and every so often it'll suddenly just open up a little bit and i'll see that there was this character the whole time who i didn't even know was there who was part of a story that I didn't connect with the other characters or in this case with the wheelchair, I didn't realize that he was wheelchair bound in all these scenes, even though now it makes a lot of sense because he never moves. Uh, he's always sitting on a wall or he's at the table already, or he's in his room uh, surrounded by his Sarah, you know, um, goods. And uh, he's very meek, very mild. So, like, some of his character traits are probably due to the fact that he can't be active in the same sense that his brother can. Yeah. And yet his attitude is so upbeat and positive that, you know, it doesn't feel like he thinks of it as even a disadvantage and we also see enta has a relationship with him that's so it's so advanced that they play cards together and that he's entrusted with carrying him to his wheelchair 
um, even when Kazuki's not there, possibly because Kazuki's not there. Yeah, that that's an interesting hypothesis. Why is Enta there and Kazuki is not? I was telling you that to tackle this show without just going through and individually talking about every scene that happens in the order that it happens is very difficult because of how it reveals its secrets and how it withholds the information needed to sort of interpret the context of the scenes that came before it. Um, we tried our best. I think... I, I really look forward to watching the whole thing and then being able to finally discuss whatever is the big reveal. I mean, I, I can't imagine there's not going to be a big reveal in the last one or two episodes right. um, that's going to going to realign all the pieces on the chessboard Right. For us. Even something like the cops is so out of left field, so contextless that you just have to accept that yeah. they're... And, and so disconnected right. from everything like, else. We now know that they are involved in creating these things but we don't know really what they're doing or why they're doing it or who they are. Um, why are they cops? Why are the other cops just sort of tolerant of them? Are there other cops? Because they just look like cardboard cutouts. Yeah, it's true. All right. Let's uh, wrap that up. This is, this was our first episode. I thought it went pretty well. You know, we're shaking off our ring rust because we had like about a two month uh, break between Hiatus between the end of Beastars and the beginning of this new project. Um, but we're going to be with you for the long haul. And I'm really excited to just enjoy all of this great anime with you, our friends. Oh, God, it's late. Yeah, Are you happy is. to be back? Oh, I'm so, oh yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm so happy to be back with, uh, with you and our listeners. And I'm really looking forward to this and everything else. Thank you all for listening, and be sure to follow us on Twitter because we finally have our own Twitter handle, which is at Okashina Podcast. That's O K A S H I N A Podcast. And DM me for an invite to our Discord as well, where we have lively chatter going on all the time. Okashina Podcast, like Jeriton School Report before it, is part of the Orange Groves Podcast Network. It supports marginalized voices and smaller podcasts, and they're just a swell bunch of people. Don't miss out on your chance to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes access through our Patreon, patreon.com slash theorangegroves, to support the wonderful work they do and help pay the upkeep. You can also fund us personally through our ko-fi.com, also Okashina Podcast. Um, you can make me breakfast in bed if you wanna. I'm not gonna like, force you, but just saying, the invitation's out there. Until next time, Okashu Ikoyo. Okashu Ikoyo.